Well, I talk about and quote Wendell Berry way too much. So you'll have to forgive this further indulgence this morning. I don't know if you're film familiar with uh, Wendell Berry's mad farmer trope, a character that comes, uh, comes to be in, in a lot of his poetry, but I find it to be an exquisitely succinct pairing with our readings today. As I said, the mad farmer is a character that emerges periodically in Wendell Berry's poetry collections. And the mad farmer represents a sort of uh, ornery, idealistic, cynical alter ego, sort of a release valve that, who says things that might be a bit socially uncouth, but who at certain times also resounds with echoes of the most insightful and incisive prophets who at times we've most needed and rarely appreciated. One of the most powerful poems in the voice of the mad farmer and one of Wendell Berry's most famous poems is called Manifesto, the Mad Farmer Liberation Front. And it is essentially a list of exhortations spoken by the mad farmer to his readers. These exhortations are animated by a vision of life that seems completely preposterous to the advertising executives and to the, as he says, the generals and the politicos which itself gives the mad farmer immense delight, sort of throwing a kink in the expectations of those who would presume to manage and control the world at all costs. So here's some of what he says in the poem, encouraging his readers in this way. He says, so friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love somebody who does not deserve it. Plant sequoias. Say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant, that you will not live to harvest. Say that the leaves are harvested when they have rotted into the mold. Call that prophet. Prophesy such returns. Put your faith in the two inches of humus that will build under the trees every thousand years. Be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. And on... And on he goes. It is, I think, a beautiful, absurd, delightful, startling set of lines. 
And it's not unlike Jesus's words in our gospel reading, actually. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Do to others as you would have them do to you. See, these words are meant to kind of shake us up, to dislodge us from our typical rhythms and assumptions. And they beckon us to imagine a world that is starkly different than the one we might automatically assume that we are inhabiting. For the mad farmer, this imagined and hoped-for world is one in which it is no waste to invest in topsoil, even though the return is measured in millennia. It's a world where we can be joyful, though we have considered all the facts. For Jesus, this imagined and hoped-for world is a world where loving one's enemies and giving without expecting something in return is not an anomaly, but rather is part and parcel to the divine economy. It's a world where participating in these activities shows oneself to be a child of the Most High God who himself is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. The mad farmer ends his long list of exhortations with a simple two-word sentence. The entire poem ends this simple sentence, practice resurrection. Practice resurrection. This is the summative word that exemplifies this absurd reality that is envisioned. Resurrection, the possibility of a different life a new creation, a reality that bursts the seams of the small, precariously manageable world of love as transaction and making sure you get your due because surely no one else is going to have your back. Practice resurrection. This is the miracle, the possibility that enlivens the mad farmer's world. And obviously, this idea did not originate with him. As we know, as we read in 1 Corinthians this morning, resurrection is the ground of our hope as Christians. It is what animates and orients everything we do and everything we are. 
In our gospel reading, Jesus shares this absurd list of exhortations. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. He tells us these things not because it makes sense in the world in which we know so well, but because he is bringing into being a new world in the midst of this old one. A world founded not on scarcity and the need to preserve one's due, but rather a world founded on his own resurrection from the dead. Which is to say, it is a world founded on grace, on God's generosity towards us and all creation, regardless of our status or pedigree or moral aptitude. And in this way, Jesus himself is a sort of mad farmer. His words upsetting the powers that be and his words enlivening, even if faintly, the hearts of those who find themselves on the wrong side of those powers. But you see, the seeds that Jesus is sowing are not just these startling moral exhortations. His madness reaches its peak when he sows the seeds of his own body into the ground, giving himself to death on the cross. The man of heaven becoming dust on our behalf in order to bring into being this new world that is completely unforeseen and that even now can only be seen by faith. I was talking with a friend this week who uh, lately has been really struggling with a lot and, and has for a while um, been struggling. And so I was talking, he was wondering if things will ever really get better. And at one point he said, talking about the possibility of his own healing, he said, I have to hope for something better than the best thing that I can imagine. I have to hope for something better than the best thing that I can imagine. In the midst of seemingly endless struggles, of wounds that perhaps go deeper down than we might have the courage to dig, it strikes me that perhaps it is then our task to hope for something better than the best thing that we can imagine. Because all we can imagine 
is just getting by, is just surviving. And that sounds exactly to me like what Paul is talking about in our reading from 1 Corinthians this morning. And he's talking about our hope in the resurrection. As he says toward the beginning of the reading, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed. And God gives it a body as he has chosen. That is, you sow a seed into the ground, not a whole tree. But from that seed, somehow, miraculously, unforeseen, comes forth something that you couldn't even imagine. So it is with our lives, especially the difficulties and struggles that mark our days. And still, it remains that this truth is often only apprehended by faith, which the letter to the Hebrews says is the substance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. We cannot see the tree that is latent in the small seed being sown into the ground. Had it not happened before, we could not imagine an acorn becoming an oak tree. So it is with the resurrection, this new creation reality. Had it not happened before, we could not imagine any other life. We couldn't imagine any other world than the one which requires us to exact vengeance on our enemies. We couldn't imagine a world that doesn't require us to see relationships as transactional enterprises or as threats or fears to be managed. But resurrection, it has happened before. And it has happened in Jesus Christ who sowed the seed of his own body, going into the ground and dying, only to rise again in glory and splendor, transforming his body of dust into the glorious, life-giving spiritual body that makes the whole creation new. And as Jesus the mad farmer sows the seed of his own body into the ground. He invites us who are bound by struggles and sorrows and sufferings that we can't imagine an end to. He invites us to hope, 
to hope for something better than the best thing that we could imagine. He invites us to hope that it might just be true that the seed that is sown into the ground is not the body that is to be. That what we are now is not what we shall be. And so he invites us to give ourselves over to this vision of grace. This vision of a world grounded not on scarcity and competition, but on abundance and generosity. Which is really the only world in which it is possible to practice resurrection. But which is also, in fact, the only world there really is.